now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. Facebook, you were a pain in the ass. <laughs> I love doing the live thing. Facebook is just a pain in the ass. I'm going to start doing it on YouTube, too. i got to figure out how to do that. That's oh. that's what the listeners are telling us, Nick. Mm-hmm. It's live also- response. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's also week three of quarantine, so I'm skipping the beer and going straight to hard liquor. <clears throat> so this is going to get real sloppy real quick, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It's uh, Barstool Politics. Uh, I am your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muff from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, guys. Hey, Nick. Hey. Nick. hey. Uh, before we get started, all the usual fun stuff. Uh, if you have questions, comments, beer suggestions, uh, anything like that, uh, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics, where uh, you will also find uh, the live shows that we do, which is happening right now. Um, just go to our page and uh, you know, you'll see that we normally do those around 430 on Wednesdays. Um, so definitely check that out. Uh, beers that we try, you can find on Untapped on iOS or Android. Uh, just search for Barstool Politics on there. Uh, the podcast itself, you can find on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Uh, review us, share us, like us through there. We appreciate the support. Uh, and then our merch line, you can find on teespring.com. Uh, direct links will be on all of our social channels, so check that out. Uh, Bill is wearing his Barstool Politics hoodie currently. Um, I'm not sure he's washed that yet, and I think he just wears it continuously. It's his quarantine gear. Yep. Um, but it's very comfy, so I understand that. It's uh, perfect for quarantine, and <laughs> I'm sure you know it, with with shipping issues right now, it probably will take you six months to get it. But man, it is it's cozy. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't gotten to the snuggie yet, and that'll be next for quarantine gear. Um, but you can find uh, hoodies, t-shirts, mugs, uh, things like that. So definitely check that out. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's another one of those weeks. Um, I completely forgot it was Wednesday uh, until we started texting today. Um, just because I'm not really sure what day it is um, most days of the week at this point. <laughs> like everybody's like that. Yeah, you don't know a day anymore. My brother was saying this morning that like it's the days have gone away. It's like yesterday, t- today, and tomorrow. That's all we think about, right? It's just like, okay, <laughs> that happened yesterday. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's you know it, it's it's been another another crazy week. Um, not not really positive in, in a lot of ways. But um, certainly some interesting stories uh, that have come out of um, the administration uh, and the COVID response. We're, we're going to touch on that and a few other things. And then, of course, we'll we'll end with uh, a fun topic. You know, $400,000 to flush a toilet is always fun to talk about. Um, but first, uh, I heard the ratings for coronavirus are really good. Bill, can you tell us why they're so good? 
this is this is going to be a fun opening topic. So yeah, we spent the last couple of weeks trying to offer some unconventional looks at the global pandemic. For instance, last week we examined what the proper role of government should be during a pandemic. This week we thought it useful to look at presidential leadership. We're going to start off with the, uh, the unique leadership style of President Trump. But later in the round, we will look at the actions of Viktor Orban of Hungary, Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro, and podcast favorite Turkmenistan's president, Gurben Guli Berti Mohamedov. Bam! Done. <laughs> but let's start. I think you wrote that out phonetically. <laughs> yes, I did. It's hard. Gurben Guli Berti Mohamedov. Uh, but let's start by narrowing in on a couple incidences last week that offer a window into the mind and leadership style of President Trump one of which are these surreal daily coronavirus briefings. The sessions are part theater and part news conference. Reporters sit as Trump recaps the day's meetings and invites a series of testimonials from business executives and his medical team. On Monday, Trump even asked the MyPillow guy to speak. That was that was something. Um, Trump has spent much of the last week tweeting about his ratings, uh, the ratings his briefings are getting. On Monday, or I'm sorry, on Sunday, he tweeted, quote, President Trump is a ratings hit. And noted his ratings are bachelor finale or Monday night football type numbers. And that consequently, quote, the lamestream media is going crazy. The other important development this week is the ongoing relationship between Trump and the governors. Governors, Democratic and Republican alike, have been testing the waters of whether it is better to fight or flatter the president. This came in the aftermath of a briefing where Trump instructed Vice President Mike Pence not to call certain governors who hadn't shown the proper appreciation. Trump said, I say, Mike, don't call the governor of Washington. You're wasting your time with him. Don't call the woman in Michigan. If they don't treat you right, I don't call. All right, Phil, so many interesting angles to break down here. Where, where do you want to start? Um, I, so I, I definitely want to talk about uh, the the state's issues. But I, yeah, I mean, I think we should, we should just start by talking about what has become this, uh, the, the regular afternoon uh, briefing, for, which is in and of itself strange, right? Because this is a president who had avoided any sort of briefing. The White House wasn't, and, and other parts of the government aren't doing daily briefings. We haven't had a CDC, an official CDC briefing in weeks at this point, which is crazy. <clears throat> um, and, and I don't know exactly why that is. There's some evidence that the Trump administration is, you know, trying to get in the way of that. But yeah, these briefings are unlike anything else, and they feel like a, a glimpse. I, I've quit watching them, but they feel like a glimpse into the mind of Donald Trump. I mean, it feels like this has replaced his rallies, right? It's his chance to go out in front of the TVs, have people parade by and praise him. But it's also this, you know, the the, narciss <laughs> the narcissism of it all, right? Just the evidence, like so much of it is about him, right? And and that comes up in these tweets, right? It's about the ratings. He's he's concerned in the midst of this pandemic about the ratings, even when it's not about him. Like he was tweeting also about the British royal family and the, the inability to like focus in on the the task before him, and and the the idea that he what's become clear is that he he is a man who has an attention span of I'll be nice and say days. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you see this too through these press, press, these briefings in which, you know, the the stance that the, that the administration had a week ago is night and day from, I mean, they went from, you know, we've fully handled this to suddenly there's going to be 250,000 deaths and that will be a success to, I mean, it bounces all over the place. Um, yeah. I mean, I, what, what have y'all, have you been watching? 
I, I have been. And for a couple of reasons, one, like as a political, I totally get the idea that some people don't want to tune in anymore. And and there's also like CNN and I think MSNBC are saying they're not covering them in, in their in their totality, mm-hmm. uh, which has meant that I've been jumping over to Fox News because Fox covers them from beginning to end. Yesterday, uh-huh. it was over. I want to say it was like two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah, that's crazy. So I've I've kind of been intentionally locking myself down to say I'm going to watch it. And they are as you know, as a political scientist who's kind of interested in studying the dynamics of the presidency they're they're fascinating they really are there's theater to them there's the dynamic where he and the 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 press are bickering back and forth the bringing forward of the business executives is really bizarre like the i mean and i i get it right the idea is that he wants to show that things are being done but they have a very orwellian feel to them like when you turn on those press conferences it feels like everything is good there's masks coming there's coming you know there's um the the ventilators are coming all every it's all good news it's like one victory after the other but then the reality on the ground is is different and the other sort of stunning thing for me about this is the contrast between trump and pence uh where i mean pence really comes across as presidential I mean, I don't I don't agree with much of what Pence has done politically, but in terms of his handling of this, he is a calm voice. He's what the president should be making us feel good. Um, You know, he is he is embracing this role. He's on top of all the details. I find myself pulled in by Pence and then it goes back to Trump and it's wild. Right. So it is it is this, you know, FDR did these fireside chats and those were very popular. This is nothing like that, (laughs) but it has, I think, that kind of impact where it almost is must-see TV for all the wrong reasons. I, I just, um, I think we'll be studying and reflecting on these years from now, which is part of the reason that I'm, I'm kind of watching them. I, I don't know, Nick, what's, what's been yours? I mean, you have to work, so you probably haven't been able to see these things. I'm at home. I don't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my boss, no, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I do. Um, Phil, you had a point, and then, then I'll go. No, I was just going to, you had said, Bill, that the impact of the, I, I'm kind of curious what you, what the two of you think the impact is, because, because I think you're right. I mean, and they are getting ratings and it'll be interesting to, to see if that carries out. I mean, there's a whole bunch of people without anything to do right now, but the fact that it's a two and a half hour press conference, that's not, I mean, that in and of itself, ideally with a press conference, you're trying to get key information out, right? And, and if you have to filter through two and a half hours of stuff to get what you need, I, it would be great if the president would do a daily briefing, but it would be 15 minutes, right, of coming up and talking about the current status and what, what we're doing. And here's, you know, Fauci, who's going to answer a few questions. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I think you're right. It's having an impact, but I, I'm not sure that I... I'm not sure that if it's just, is it a like cultural sort of, oh, is it an impact that, you know, like a, like a pop culture type impact or is it actually having a political impact as well? Well, his mm-hmm. approval ratings are higher than they've been at any point uh, in his, his presidency. I mean, they've gone yeah. up and what's, what's really interesting about that is they've gone up, I want to say like six points among independents and eight points among Democrats. I mean, Republicans, they really couldn't go up anymore. They were sort of flatlined already. But um, he's on some way, whether it's these press conferences or his in, his handling in general, there are more people who are looking to Trump as doing a good job, which strikes me as somewhat bizarre because there I mean, we could talk about all the ways in which his unique leadership has been a disaster. I think Pence has done a great job. Fauci's been fantastic. Burks is awesome. I mean, there's been a lot of really good things, but Trump is I mean, he's he's all over the place. Uh, He doesn't know the details. He's wrong. He's contradicting himself. First, if it's a fluid, then it's not a flu. So it's curious 
that that there are people that are reassured by this increasingly num- numbers of, of people I, mm-hmm. I want I, Nick it's I keep just talking and just to talk. unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious about those numbers because I I find that really fascinating too his numbers have gone up from a, like a political science perspective the thing that I can't help but notice is that other world leaders numbers have gone up this is the rally around the flag effect right presidential support right. or leadership support goes up during these times Trump's have gone up, but not anything like what you've seen amongst the Italian prime minister or other leaders worldwide. So his have gone up. And then the other part that I kind of put against that is that while his approval numbers have gone up, his like the the polls about he versus Biden, the gap has actually opened and that Biden is leading even bigger than he was before. So I, I kind of wonder how much of it is that Trump is actually achieving the sort of calming confidence building effect. And how much of it is just that people want that, that we're looking to a leader and we want that. But also if I could have Joe Biden right now, I would take that. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, I, I, I think there's a, a complexity to those numbers that, uh, you know, in a week's time, we can't know all the details, but it'll be interesting to see how that continues to play out. Mm-hmm. Can, can I go? Am I? <laughs> no, it, it, that's it's you know I think the the rally around the flag effect is is very prominent in this particular situation. Uh, if I had my way, um, given the the rhetoric that we've seen come from the president, I would have him completely step aside for these uh, these briefings and have Fauci or Pence or just about anybody else say anything. Uh, I do think that people need some type of reassurance, and two and a half hours is not worth digging through, um, but. For the major networks to say that they're not going to broadcast them in their entirety seems reprehensible to me. There is information in there that people probably should know or at least have an idea of what the administration is talking about to either support it or pick it apart if if it's not truthful. Um, to just say that everything in there is a lie, carte blanche, is is ridiculous. And I think that they're, that's a major disservice to the American people for them to do that. Especially um, for, for CNN and like the cable. I get if local. So if your local NBC or CBS isn't going to cover two and a half hours because they have to do local coverage, right? There are, that makes sense why they would pull in and out as needed. But CNN, MSNBC, what? You have nothing else to talk about. Yeah, Right, you're just going to bring some talking head on who's going to... So I think, I, I agree with that. I think... In a moment of crisis, I think there is some responsibility to air this uh, in its entirety, even if it is, you know, people can tune it out. But I, I think people should have access to that. So, I, yeah, I disagree with CNN and MSNBC for 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 doing that. So uh, you had mentioned the like private business owners and people who said they're they're uh, retooling to make masks or ventilators or, or something like that. The my the my pillow guy uh, specifically who just caught hell for that which yeah. I, like I, I i get it it's that's a weird tangent to go down um the jesus tangent he the, went off on yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> that 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 would be the one um but realistically under under i feel like any other circumstance if there were business leaders american business leaders who were up there saying we're doing this uh to you know try and help people in the healthcare industry and prevent this from spreading any further um we we wouldn't be having this discussion i think th- it's the the special place that that Trump holds in in people's minds and hearts um, influences that personally. I I I didn't like the fact that he brought 
significant or brought religion into the the discussion. But I do think it's important to hear those stories too. I think you need those feel good stories and see that there are people, uh, you know, American business owners that want to do something. I, I think that's reassuring. And another thing that people should know about, um, and people start lambasting him for what he says, which I think lasted all of 20 to 30 seconds. Um, that, that seemed like a, just un, unnecessary. The, the, the shit that, that, um, he, he caught for that. The, my, the, my pillow guy. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, it was bizarre because you know, I see, I think you're right, Nick, that we don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a few business leaders come up and speak to what's happening. What's, what's unique about Trump is that they may have eight of them uh, come up. And, and so sure. it's, it's, again, it's, it's, a, it's the degree of it. So it's not that a couple couldn't come forward and it really would be useful to see that symbiotic relationship between government and business, especially in this time. It's that Trump keeps bringing more and more of them up. Um, and then the medical professionals, professional. So the, it's the, the mixture of everything that's just so over the top. And then his, you know, his relationship with the media where he is looking for a fight, right? So the media wants to poke him. He wants to be poked. Um, and he c- continues to answer question after question after question, t- question until he gets too pissed off. And then he storms out, right? So all of it is is classic Trump, where it's his political theater. He's happy with it. Sure. It just makes for this really, again, surreal and bizarre political moment every single day. Like right now, as we tape, there's another one going on. Yeah. Um, no, it, he... he- he really just said, no, I'm going. God damn it. Um, you earned it. You earned it. Nick. <laughs> no, I, I, I firmly believe that he should step aside. I, I think in, in a crisis like this, that the president isn't going to be able to tell you anything, uh, anything of, of significant importance. Um, I, I think you need uh, educated, knowledgeable uh, leaders and people who are in the trenches giving you the information, not a, a figurehead and, and uh, um you know, uh, again, someone who isn't completely privy to all of the facts, who realistically probably should be, but so isn't we, the right vessel in this we, situation. We need Jared Kushner up there is what you're saying. Yeah, oh. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> what, talk about a disaster Kushner is. I mean, apparently even to like a couple days ago, he was still saying that this is overblown. Yeah. History is going to just crush that guy. I'm sorry, Phil. Go ahead. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, the, the, the my pillow guy, the business people, the, I 100 percent agree with you, Nick, that the president should get up, make a few opening remarks, encourage the the public. You know, we're all going to pull through this and then you turn it over to the experts who can provide, uh, um, you know, scientific and medically backed advice and whatnot. Um, but it feels like the the my pillow guy stuff, the two and a half hours. Bill, you and I were, were texting briefly about this. A lot of this seems like a, a kind of a utilitarian cost benefit analysis. This is not ideal, but this is what you have to do to get. Anthony Fauci on TV, right? To get the medical experts on TV, if we're going to get him for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, we've got to praise Trump. We've got to let Trump, you know, parade his people out there. And so it, it's a, it's a craziness, but it feels a lot of it feels calculated to kind of play to Trump's personality. I, do you want to talk about that, Bill? You would, you would kind of brought that up earlier today with me. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting for me. We've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about the way in which the advisors around Trump struggle to get him to listen to what they want and essentially to implement his policy. And there's a whole host of them who have been gone. Right. And and they're disgraced. They're kicked out the door. But Fauci, Burks and Mike Pence appear in this instance to have been so successful at getting Trump to listen to them, to get them to put their message out. I mean, they they have found this balance where Trump is doing what they want. And some of this is because we're in a pandemic 
But there have been other crises where Trump doesn't listen to his advisors. And, you know, the, the, the approach of Fauci and Burks and Pence are to, again, to always throw praise on president, on the great leader, but then they get what they want in terms of the message out there. So I think this is brilliant bureaucratic uh, policy where they are managing this crisis. They know what needs to be done, and they found a way to work with Donald Trump in a way that no other advisor has been able to. So I think, you know, I think it's really a testament to both Pence, but also Fauci and Burks in terms of how they are managing Trump, who doesn't like to be managed at all. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're getting what they want, which is this message out. They've gotten them away from, you know, the Easter, pro- the Easter proposal. Right. Uh, they've got them to accept. I mean, yesterday, yesterday's press conference was was pretty dark in terms of the numbers, but they were being honest. There was data presented. So it, it is stunning how well they've been able to manage the president. It, it is it is awful and ridiculous and shameful that those hoops have to be jumped through to get yeah. to that point. But it is all it is also interesting at who has sort of figured that out. And and Fauci is an interesting one because he he hasn't been. I, I'm not sure how he's done it because he. I mean he's he's been. I mean he said things critical or he's willing to contradict the president. Um, and he's even said openly in interviews and stuff that he has, he knows that he has to say something five and six times to get the president to hear it or whatever. But I wonder if it's that he has contradicted the president, but he hasn't criticized the, like he, I haven't seen him take Trump on directly, right? He just right. does his own thing. And, and that's an interesting, you know, I, that it's, it's, it's interesting to see that play out because as you mentioned, people before who were this, you know, the, the serious people in the room, um, it seemed like they thought they couldn't contradict Trump. That was their approach. Like, you know, if you contradict him, you're done. And, and Fauci has kind of pointed out that, or has shown that to some extent, however he's doing it, you're able to actually, you know, deviate from the president without having everything explode. Like, you know, the, the risk maybe isn't as great as we thought it was. And and Burks took she took a lot of heat. Was it I don't know again a few days ago? I, I have no concept of time anymore. But she gave this interview where she was talking about how Trump is just he's mastered the details and he understands the virus and what's going on. And it's clear Trump does not get any of that. But it, she I think she realized she needed to do that right to build up his ego so that she could make this presentation to the president. And so there's this kind of back and forth. And as much as those moments of, you know, sucking up to the president grind on me, it has worked. And the reality is that people's lives will be saved because these experts were able to get the president on board for what needs to be done. And yeah, I think it's it's really it's fascinating to see how successful they have, you know, compared to, you know, James Mattis and uh, McMaster and Tillerson, all the other ones that we've talked about mm-hmm. who have had had essentially no success at that. And, and think about how exhausting that must be to to have to. <laughs> You know, to to go back five and six and seven times, and also keep in mind that the Trump, like as I mentioned earlier, the president has a short attention span. So I imagine it's not just that they have to say it; they have to convince him. You have to say it many times to convince him. I'm guessing they have to reconvince him, right? Because yeah. they convince him, and then two days later, he's ready to open the economy, and they have to somehow have the soul, the the whole conversation again to get him back, you know, onto the idea that this isn't going away in a few in a in a matter of weeks. 
That's right, because he has a meeting with Jared, and Jared's convinced that everything's going to go away. And so, yeah, so with all these advisors around him, they, you know, they've got to keep pushing. And so, yeah, it is. It's really interesting. Should we spend a couple minutes talking about his relationship with the governors? Yeah, for sure, yes, please. Because that's a, another really interesting thing too, where mm-hmm. uh, the governors, both Democrat and Republican, have been trying to uh, have that same sort of balance. Do we criticize? Do we praise? Uh, and you look at what's happened. I mean, across the board, you know, whether it's the governor of Michigan or Ohio or New York or even Illinois. Some of it is pushing. Uh, some of it is praising Cuomo in New York has, has been saying some nice things about Trump. Uh, and then he had said some previously some negative things yesterday. The governor, J.B. Pritzker of Illinois, was was pushing back on the federal government. So it's you know, they're trying to find that balance of mm-hmm. do you praise and honor or do you criticize? Um, I don't know. Phil, what's your sense of, of the strategy there and what it says about the president? No, I mean, the the president has been explicit about it. I mean, he's, you know, in the quote that you read at the beginning that basically they should be nice to him if they and and there's been stories and I I don't know, you know, I don't know how much I don't know what all is behind these stories, but I've seen a number of stories talking about how, you know, Florida, who is a governor of Florida's, you know, big in Trump's camp. Um, has gotten 100 percent of what they've requested from the federal government in terms of uh, equipment and other states haven't gotten anywhere close to what they've what they've requested. And so, you know, there's some evidence that it matters. And and I see like today you were talking about uh, the 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 governor of Michigan. Um, my, my I like Trump. The, her Whit- name is Whitman. Is it Whit- Whitman? Yeah. So, yeah. Huh. Whitman, anyway, yeah. Um, I noticed today that she, they, they got a shipment from FEMA of like 300 respirators, which is like, maybe it was more, maybe it was 3000. It was, it was some amount that's not anywhere close to what they're going to need. But she tweeted out specifically thanking the head of FEMA, like, thank you so much, which is, which is an example of, I think, where you have to play the game. It is, it, it pisses me off to no end that that is the, <laughs> that, that is the situation, that that's how it has to be, that people have to sort of dance around Trump's ego in order to get what they need. But it's interesting to see people, you know, developing the strategies uh, for, for doing that. And it's we, we have to be careful because we don't want to overread this. You know, there could be a lot of ways in which those decisions are being made. But Florida has gotten everything that it asked for. Uh, I think it's Oklahoma or Kentucky has gotten more than what they've asked for. Right. And and so, you know, Michigan, Illinois and Michigan have gotten less. So this could all be a random thing that's just explained by the bureaucracy. But it could be that they're responding to the the feelings and the moods of the president. That's a good point. There was a story today about how the U.S. government requested emergency supplies from thailand uh i sent this to you bill i don't know if you saw yes. it nick uh-huh. we requested we reached out to thailand requesting some emergency supplies from them and thailand's response was you have you just shipped us the exact stuff that you're asking for it hasn't <laughs> even arrived yet so yeah, yeah there's whatever it is whether it's bureaucracy whether it's you know the, the cabinet level stuff it's it's yeah there's there's lots of potential explanations for these things mm-hmm. yeah I'm, hey, I'm, we should go ahead nick sorry no, no i i'm i'm more inclined to think that it's more of a, a bureaucratic snafu than anything but at the same time especially when we're talking about michigan um you know, th- th- those were very, very pointed attacks against the president specifically early on in this process. Um, and realistically, before uh, the 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 governor of Michigan didn't actually put in a request for a uh, a declaration of a major emergency to get those supplies until the Detroit Free Press ran a story saying that she hadn't done that yet. Um, so I, I think that there's there's. A little bit of political theater going on there. I think there is some element of trying to placate the president. Realistically, in this situation, 
there's I don't think there's any reason to try and score political points. Uh, put a declaration out there, get the supplies that you need, and you can say whatever you want afterwards. Because, you know, Adam Schiff's already putting together the uh, coronavirus response uh, investigation committee for this. <laughs> Got to have an investigation. Yeah. Well, but the other, the other thing to think about here is, though, if you're a governor, a well crafted critique that you tweet out can also be effective because you know Trump responds to that, right? So it's going to get attention. So if you go through the normal channels, that may not cause the uh, reaction that that you need to get Trump's attention. So it's weird. Some of this is Trump himself. Like he wants that attention. He wants the animosity. He wants that, uh, you know, the, the, the difficult relationship. So I think it's hard to be a governor these days uh, and, and thinking about that balance. I mean, between so I guess Florida today finally said that they were recommending shelter at home, but there was this back and forth relationship between the federal government and Florida, where Florida the Florida governor said, "Hey, we'll do it if you say we should do it." Trump right. and Trump said, "Well, you should do it if you think it's right." Neither of them really wanted to take responsibility, mm-hmm. and so a lot of this game is the blame game. Like, where is responsibility ultimately going to fall? Because we know that casualties are going to skyrocket. They're talking a hundred and two hundred thousand best case scenario deaths right so it's about you know who's gonna the who's the finger gonna point at but all all of this that that we're talking about is is bullshit right Mm -hmm. it's it is it is an example of how we're living how we've gotten used to living in prison right we're talking about how it's hard to be a governor because you have to balance like being critical versus not being you know being too polite and filing stuff and you were you know nick you pointed out that the michigan governor had been critical of the president none of that should matter right that shouldn't none of that should be a part of this equation the the president should is the president for every american citizen and should be responding to even if a governor is a total asshole the, the president should still be getting supplies to them regardless <laughs> of of who they are and so that it's it's just bizarre that this is where we where we are mm-hmm. the, the, the other part of the all of the governor part i mean we could have a whole nother topic on on this i think is is the this the the sort of uh competition between the states is really fascinating too. the travel bans that are being put in place the limitations on crossing state lines the, there's there's all sorts of weird constitutional issues involved in that and it, it's it's a it's a really weird time for a federal system right now mm-hmm. and, and when you think about the re, what's likely to happen in the united states is that we're going to have a reaction similar to europe where there are going to be maybe a couple italys there's going to be a france right we're going to see this across the country and that's really when these state issues are going to bubble up right so if you if suddenly i mean I th- it makes i understand the new yorkers are trying to get out uh, and that's going to happen elsewhere. I mean, the South in particular, I, you know, I think about feel about Texas. Yeah. You know, if something hits Houston or or, or Dallas, that in the potential rural communities there, we're going to see lots of of potential movement from state to state and how they balance that. It's the United States has still been fairly restrained compared to Europe. So when you think about, you know, in France, they basically said you can't leave the house unless you have a note saying, right. you know, this is my one trip to the store. Right. Uh, we haven't done any of that. And it makes sense. American culture is, is you know, we don't want too much government. We don't want that kind of regulation. We like our independence. But it, we may get to that point where it's necessary, at least over the next month or so, to, to try to tamp down this the dynamics. So, so I think you're right, Phil. And it raises all sorts of interesting legal questions as well. And I, I wonder if there will be some legal challenges. I, I mean, I, you know, talking to family in Texas, I, the, I, I may not get the details of this right, but the the, the governor of Texas has limited or supposedly in some way banned people coming from Louisiana into Texas, which is 
unenforceable, right? right. <laughs> you can't and and unconstitutional. And so there, but you know, I, it'll be interesting to see if I, I imagine that part of that is political is a political show, right? They're not actually enforcing that, but um, yeah, I mean, there's really interesting challenges that might emerge from this. Um, yeah. And, and so the press conference yesterday, I think the one thing that really struck everybody was that the next two weeks are really going to be going to be bad. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're seeing that the numbers skyrocket and, and the hope is that if you really push down the social distancing over the next couple of weeks, that you can cause this to get better in three or four weeks. But I mean, we're we're basically accepting that a hundred or two hundred thousand American citizens are going to die. I mean, that's that's a stunning, stunning number. Um, yeah, and uh, it just—I I still have trouble wrapping my head around that. Yeah. God, this is fun. Yeah. <clears throat> um, now I lost my train of thought. Never mind. <laughs> Should we talk about beer? We're yeah, coming probably. back to the coronavirus. Yeah. All right. So, Phil, Phil, what are you starting with? So, I, I'm having another Treehouse beer tonight. Um, this is the green from Treehouse. Uh, so, last week I had, or week before I had Julius. Um, I, this is, I mean, this is, as with all, pretty much all the Treehouse beers, it's fantastic. I mean, it's a, just a, a really great beer. It's an IPA. Um, it's not as, like, citrusy as the Julius. It's more a little bit more... I don't know, like hoppy. I mean, I know that citrus comes from the hops, but it, it has more of that, uh, I don't know, like piney flavor and stuff. I, I really like this. I really enjoyed the Julius and I know the Julius rate ranks higher than the green, but I, you know, this is, this is right up there. I mean, I, I might enjoy it as much as the Julius. You know, that, that, mm. now that you say that, I'm trying to remember, Nick, didn't we, we had both of them as well. And I think yes. we, I think we liked this one maybe better than the Julius as yeah, well. I think I, sure. the more I think about it, I think you're yeah. right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I want, you know, so Nick, beers get these reputations, right? Where they're, I mean, it's not to take away from those beers that are really good, but when you get established right. as one of those top beers, then people, when they drink <laughs> it, expect it to be fantastic. And I, and the Julius beer, Julius is fantastic, right? It is, it is mm -hmm. really good. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, if I were going back to my fridge, I might grab one of these. So Nick, tell us about this. Is, is that bourbon? It looks like bourbon. Are you oh, bourbon? it's it's straight bourbon, son. Um, <laughs> no, it, realistically, I I've been trying to be good about social distancing, and I I really haven't gone to any stores or anywhere, which um, means I I can't get new beer. Um, that's probably going to change next week as I'm going I'm going a little batty. But um, <laughs> no, I yeah, I made myself a, a little old fashioned, so that was good. Um, the other thing, I, I have another drink just sitting here in, in another tumbler of just um, sangria from, uh, um, uh, uh, what's it called? Cubo, uh, the oh. Mexican place in uh, in downtown Naperville. Cubo, um, I think, right? Or, yeah, yeah, one of the two. Yeah, Cud yeah. Cudoba? Yeah, Cudoba. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. It's got a side of uh, nacho cheese that came with it. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, this and their original restaurant, Biantruca and Atota Madre, which is in Glen Ellen, uh, out here in the western suburbs, uh, they're a great group of you know local restaurants. Um, and they started selling. Uh, they've been doing takeout, but then they started selling their uh, some of their drinks as well. Um, and they have them at at my my favorite bar, which they also own uh, in downtown Naperville, uh, Santo Cielo, which is closed at the moment uh and they're trying to support people through the sales of their other restaurants um but yeah if you're in the western suburbs uh, outside of chicago um definitely try one of those places out their drinks are awesome their food is phenomenal 
Um, Phil, so. you actually have been to Quibo and you had a margarita there. Remember when you came good. out? That's yeah. the Mexican place. We had those little little mini tacos. They're, was, they're fantastic. It was so. fantastic. And you were at the so bar, have, too, where we had lots of the bourbon. <laughs> that's right. Yes. Um, so I am also having a treehouse beer. And I, I feel how privileged we all are, Phil, to be drinking this treehouse beer regularly. Um, I am still finishing off the last couple from my family members, Nick and Alethea, who brought all these wonderful treehouse beers to me. And this is the first time this I'm having one. It's called Snow. And it is a wheat double IPA. And I've never had a wheat double IPA, but it is fantastic. Hmm. Um, it's real citrusy. It has a little bit of the sort of uh, Belgium wheatness to it. So you get that. But the citrus really is strong. Um, it is, I think, as good as some of their IPAs. So you were talking about the Julius and the green and whatnot. This feels similar to that, but very, very different. And it's light. Um, I, it's, I think, also dry hopped. I think everything is dry hopped. That's good these days. Um, and very light. It feels like a light beer, but it's got a good punch to it. I'm telling you, Treehouse, is, it's a special brewery. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I think I've got one left, and I'm sort of sad that I'm going to have to go back to drinking <laughs> Miller Light. That's all that's left is Miller Light. You, you should know. cross straight, uh, state lines and go get some. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Um, if you guys want to uh, check out the beers we have on the podcast like I mentioned at the beginning uh, you can find us on Untapped uh, which you can download on iOS or Android Uh, search for Barstool Politics in there and you will find all of our reviews All right, let's jump into speed round and we're Mm going to go to U.S.-China tension so one thing we've learned over the last couple of weeks is that the pandemic has not improved U.S.-China relationship Uh, in fact some have suggested that the relationship is in free fall and at its lowest point since Mao uh, Trump and key administration allies have repeatedly called COVID-19 the Chinese virus. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo caused much frustration at the recent G7 meeting for pushing to include the phrase Wuhan virus in a joint statement, which was roundly rejected. Uh, China, for its part, has claimed that U.S. military actually brought the virus to China. Ugh. And one could also interpret China's recent efforts to garner soft power on the world by providing supplies to countries as is, as a challenge to U.S. global hegemony. So while the U.S.-China relationship wasn't bad six, <laughs> was bad six months ago, it's managed to even get worse. And let's remember that this relationship will likely define geopolitics in the 21st century. Phil, the prospect of drifting into a more adversarial, nationalistic relationship is not good for world peace. What's your read on this evolving relationship? I, you know, I think this is really fascinating. I, we've talked about, you know, in the last couple of weeks about how the the world will look different after this. And, and, and China factors into that in really important ways. We talked after we went off the air last time about uh, sort of China's position as a world leader and how this kind of puts them in, a, in an interesting place. Uh, yeah, I mean, things are not great between the U.S. and China. The U.S. is accusing China of all sorts of stuff. China is accusing the U.S. of stuff. They've accused the U.S. of creating this virus um, as well. <laughs> I, to say that it's the worst it's been since Mao seems a bit extreme. Um, you know, our our economies are still incredibly intertwined. We, you know, we for years we didn't even recognize the Chinese government. So right, I, I don't yeah. think I don't think we're quite there. Um, but I do see this as. Uh, the, you know, the, the rise of China has been a question that has been kind of, you know, a, a major issue within international relations and looking at how that plays out. And it's clear that China wants to be a world leader. And you can see that in how they're responding to this. 
in in two different ways, in good and bad, right? The the bad part of it is they're they're squashing this, they're trying to cover it up. It's pretty clear that their their numbers are not accurate um, in terms of the number of death and deaths and the, the number of cases. But in positive ways, in ways that the U.S. is not, they've started sending out supplies and doctors to Italy and other parts of the world, and in ways that that they're you know they're trying to establish themselves as as a world leader. So in some ways, it makes sense that there are tensions between the U.S. and China, right? The U.S. is this dominant world power. China would like to be in that position. I think I think tensions, I think the coronavirus kind of brings some of those to the fore. But I think those sorts of tensions are inevitable. That's that's what we're going to see over the next, you know, 30 years as as China continues to emerge as a as an economic and political power. Nick, what's what's your sense of all this? The growl. Here we here we go. <clears throat> I think this is probably one of the most important, if not the most important, story that has come out of out of this crisis. Um, I think that the way that China has handled this, uh, in terms of the the entire breadth of of this outbreak, is <clears throat> reprehensible. And I think that the response in saying that they are not somehow ultimately responsible for the suffering that's happening around the world is also reprehensible. We're talking about we have intelligence data coming from the U.S. intelligence community saying that they specific China specifically concealed the extent of the viral outbreak going back all the way to November, that the the total deaths in uh, in Hubei province and Wuhan specifically weren't. Um, just in Wuhan could be upwards of 40 to 50,000 people as opposed to the 3,000 that they've said. Um, it, it, it's just, it's baffling to me that we're trying to talk about what people are calling the virus when tens of thousands and potentially hundreds of thousands of people are dying over in China. Nobody's talking about it. There's still no uh, no word on on what they've done with the millions of people they put in concentration camps, the Uyghurs or anybody else, the political dissidents who they're apparently harvesting organs from, the scientists who were trying to bring information about this to the forefront in the international community early on who have just disappeared. This is They are ultimately responsible for this, and we need a 100% realignment of our relationship with the the Chinese government. It, it, it needs to happen. And we talk about them giving supplies and, and trying to put forward this humanitarian persona to the rest of the world. All the stories that are coming out now is they're sending out materials and supplies and ventilators that don't work. Spain spent millions upon millions of dollars to get ventilators and masks. The ventilators don't work. The, the masks don't protect people the way that they should. And we're we're talking about it like this is a good thing. You're you're trying to to advance soft power, but you can't even do that right. Like it, it it's it baffles me that there's not more coverage of this. If you piece any of these pieces together, it, it, there, there's there's nothing redeemable about them. And then trying to say that the U.S. is responsible for that, and then them putting together propaganda pieces that are parroting things. From our major news outlets to say that that's the, the, the proper statistics is fucking insane to me. I like to say beanbag, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, 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 I wouldn't disagree with every, anything you said, right? I mean, you know, China has absolutely their cover up is is despicable. Um, you know, how they handled it early on was was 
absolutely important for how this played out. I will say their response, though, and I, I'm not agreeing with it, but how it's being perceived is different than what was the initial cause for it. And I, you know, we like to talk about paradigm changing moments in foreign policy. I, I think China is going to try to seize upon this to reestablish itself as the true global hegemon, right? This is a moment where they can seize and say, we're the leader here. The United States is pulling away. We're not going to pull away. And again, I'm not disagreeing with anything you said. That's all right. Human rights is terrible. Democracy is terrible. But in terms of that geostrategic balance of power, they are going to try to use this moment to push their perspective, their relationships. And if the United States is smart, we will do everything we can to counter that. Um, And I think that's why this is this is absolutely such an important moment. Yeah, I think you're I mean, you are you're right, Nick. I mean, there's China is all sorts of of shitty, right? You're you're not wrong on any of that. But I I think the 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 way to think about or what I would encourage people to do is like, think about not not of it. Don't think of it as an American. Think of it as, you know, some other country in the world. And the U.S. would be able to make those criticisms way better if the U.S. weren't simultaneously withdrawing. And so China might be sending out shitty ventilators, but the U.S. isn't sending out anything. Right. And so if it's one of those leadership positions in which, you know, I, I think about the 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 um, uh, the the push the U.S. I've seen a couple of IR scholars pointing out the U.S. has pushed really hard for European allies and whatnot to not use uh, Huawei, right? The the Chinese the five G stuff because there are security concerns. But the fact of the matter is, China's willing to work with them, and and the U.S. is telling European allies don't use that, and also you know screw you, we're not we don't want to be a part of NATO and all this other stuff. And so that's where the U.S. This would be an easier situation if the U.S. weren't at simultaneously creating a power vacuum for China to come into. If China, if the U.S. had continued sort of doing this world leadership position, it would be much harder for China to make these moves, I think. I don't disagree with that. I, I think that the the climate that they're creating, though, isn't necessarily favor favorable to them. I, I think that on the surface, it it's presenting, uh, again, a, a good persona, but peeling that away even slightly suggests otherwise. And you look at the individual countries, especially in Europe, uh, Italy and Spain being the most prominent among them uh, who have received aid from China and who are now up in arms about the aid that they received seems to be giving more credence to populist movements in those countries. And I think that if that continues and people keep pulling away or, you know, pulling, um, peeling this onion a little bit more, we're going to see an even greater increase in populist rhetoric, uh, parties, um, movements, uh, especially in Western Europe, uh, once this crisis subsides, I don't necessarily think that China is going to be able to be able to um, combat that. And realistically, yeah, I, I think that the U.S. should be pushing uh, against them significantly more. Uh, I, want, I want the entire uh, um, uh, geopolitical uh, and economic relations that, that, that we have with them to be borderline dissolved at this point. I, I, I think that this needs to be a complete restructuring of the globalized system. Um, but I, I think, I, and I, I, go ahead. I think that's likely to happen or well, not, not, not to maybe it's that degree, but I think coming out of this globalization, the international system is going to be fundamentally different. There are going to be pressures for states to pull back. Uh, there are a lot of incentives for more populist, more nationalistic leaders to seize upon those moments. 
And I think the other thing is there's a real opportunity for China to seize the mantle of global leadership, um, which, again, as I, as I said earlier, I think it's all the more reason that the United States should be asserting itself. And this is, in some ways, a really good transition to our next topic, um, Hungary. We haven't, I don't know if you've ever, well, I guess we've probably talked about Hungary before, but on Monday, in response to the, the coronavirus threat, the Hungarian president handed the uh, parliament, I'm sorry, handed the country's populist prime minister, Viktor Orban, the power to govern unchallenged for as long as he sees fit. A move that many say could effectively end the Hungarian democracy. The, quote, coronavirus bill allows Orban to rule by decree and bypass the National Assembly. The law passed 173 to 53, uh, despite opposition efforts to attach an expiration date on the state of an emergency. The law also punishes those who vote to dis- uh, those who, quote, distort or publish false information on the outbreak with five years in jail. I mean, this is unbelievable. The government has said that the emergency powers are necessary to fight the outbreak, but I think it's fair to wonder whether the, whether Orban will ever relinquish those powers when the health, health crisis eventually passes. As of Tuesday, Hungary had 447 coronavirus cases and 15 deaths, one of the more mild outbreaks across the European Union. Phil, you're a big fan of Orban and his dictatorial <laughs> tendencies. Uh, what do you what do you make of this really dramatic power grab? Uh, so, I mean, I, there are a couple of, I, I think, broad lessons to be learned from this. Uh, you know, people who have been following, I mean, some of our listeners may have followed this, but, you know, this is not something that pops up in the news, but... Um, we've talked over the last three years about how, you know, democracy doesn't die overnight. And Hungary is a great example of that. It's easy to look at this and say, oh, a crisis happened and democracy, you know, collapsed. Orban has been chipping away at democracy for a long time. I mean, there was lots of groundwork laid for this in terms of undermining opposition parties and stacking the judiciary and all sorts of other things um, that led up to this moment. And so there are a lot of people, you know, people who study Europe or who study comparative politics who this is not surprising. Like this is almost expected in the light of, of what has happened. Again, the fact that they couldn't even put a sunset clause on this, they couldn't even say we're going to give, you know, power to Orban for six months and then we'll, you know, we'll revisit it. This is just, you, you asked, he's not, no, he's not giving this up, right? I mean, he has, he has had authoritarian tendencies from the time he emerged on the scene. And and this is, this is going to be, you know, the state of Hungary for a, for a time period. So, I mean, I think the lessons of that are, you know, from a political science perspective, crisis is a, is a chance for presidents to seize, for, for leaders to seize power. That has happened across the world. It's happened throughout American history, right? The expansion of the presidency happens in times of crisis, whether that's, you know, Lincoln in the, in the civil war, whether it's, you know, during the cold war, whether it's post September 11th, there is this ability, you know, Vietnam for the president to seize power, to consolidate power in times of crisis. And we need to keep that in mind as we legislate our way through this. The other part that I, the other lesson that comes around to it is, you know, to go back to my, like, you know, harping on norms, little things that happen, right? This is again, Orban, this, this has been a long, relatively, uh, maybe a medium length road to this point. Those little things add up, right? They set the they set the groundwork for this sort of thing to occur, which is why it's important to you know push back when little things uh, occur, when you know when when little shifts in power towards the presidency or little shifts in you know a, a president who demeans the press, right? That's that's a one small step toward. It is not the same as making it punishable by five years if you talk about the 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 virus, but it's one step on the path to that. Right. And that's where you push back early. 
Nick, that was Phil was really dark there. <laughs> was sorry, what? Your, your, <laughs> Nick, your job was to instill some hope in the Hungarian democracy. Well, the what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> no, I, I mean this. This feels sadly to me like a non-story. Uh, we we have talked about this previously in, in other podcasts, and we've seen, to Phil's point, the the chipping away of democracy uh, over over years at this point. Um, I, I'm not sure that there really was going to be another outcome other than this. I think this presented a fantastic opportunity, but I think this was the direction that Hungary was going in anyways. And it seems to be the direction that a lot of countries, um, whether you're talking about Eastern Europe or Southeast Asia or South America, seem to be trending, which is, um, you know, not, I guess I'll be the first one to use the term, extremely problematic. Thank you. Um, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I don't know what you say about that. I don't know how you come back from, from this. And it doesn't seem like there's everyone is rightfully so preoccupied with other things at the moment. But I'm not sure when we get to a point where. Or if we get to a point where there is a collective response to um geopolitical movements like this. I, I don't think we have the will to do it. I don't think anyone has the will to do it anymore. You both have said it really, really well. So I guess the only thing I would add is that, you know, we we used to think that democracies died at the hands of men with guns. And what we've seen over the last five to 10 years is that's not the case to circle back to Phil's point. I mean, this is this is this is happening democratically, right? So the parliament is giving the president this power. The parliament is giving the president the power to undermine its own democracy, right? And again, there are some voices in Hungary who are pushing back against this, but a majority of the people are saying, no, this is what we want. Viktor Orban has talked extensively that he doesn't like democracy. He wants an illiberal democracy, right? And he's not shying away from those terms. And you know, democracy is something that that needs to be nurtured. It needs to be supported. And what that means is like this adversarial system, uh, something that the United States used to really embrace. Right. And so, no, I, I think it's it, it, you're right, Nick. It, it was inevitable. And it's not surprising that Orban would use the crisis to to do this. But, yeah, for me, this is the end of democracy in Hungary. And I hope it comes back at some point. And I, I think there are going to be other states that will follow this path. And I hope the United States is not one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of it, just just let, bad news. Let's continue with bad news. <laughs> Our next topic. All right. Sticking with the theme of bad presidential leadership, let's take a look at the actions of President uh, of Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro and Turkmenistan's President Gurbanguly, Bertie Mohamedov. Uh, <laughs> Bolsonaro is under attack for his coronavirus denial <laughs> and his response to the pandemic, including attacks on public officials for enacting social distancing rules. In fact, this week, Twitter and Facebook removed a video Bolsonaro of Bolsonaro talking about an experimental coronavirus treatment classifying it as misinformation. And we've spent a lot of time saying how both of those social media outlets do not want to do this. He's downplayed, Bolsonaro's downplayed the threat of coronavirus, comparing it to the flu or the sniffles. And so that he personally would only experience a mild illness if he became infected due to his history as an athlete. Oh, my goodness. Bolsonaro has called governors who have implemented social distancing policies 
job killers. Uh, last weekend, he toured the capital, Brasilia, defying social distancing recommendations, visiting markets, and shaking hands with supporters while encouraging them to continue to work to keep the economy going. Good, my goodness. In Turkmenistan, uh, its president, Gurben Guli, Bertie Mohamedov, <laughs> has taken an even more novel approach by banishing the word coronavirus from the Turkmen vocabulary. Yes, you heard that correctly. The state control media is no longer allowed to use the word and it has even been removed from health information brochures distributed in schools, hospitals and workplaces. What about the China virus? Is that so okay? I think that's a good question. <laughs> Phil, you're a doctor. What's your professional <laughs> medical opinion on the creative tactics being used by Bolsonaro and Gurben Guli Bertie Mohamedov? <laughs> First of all, I'm really proud of you with that pronunciation. I have no idea if that's right or not. But you rolled right through it every time. So, I mean, I, these are these are two. I mean, so we, you know, in the last topic, we talked about how this is a long road, right? Democracy doesn't tend to die overnight. It's little things, and these seem like two different people who are at different stages on the spectrum of eroding yes. democratic governance or, or whatever. Uh, so Bolsonaro, I mean, Bol Bolsonaro, the stuff he's doing is problematic. Um, there's, there's, yeah, there's our, our term again, but deeply, deeply, but mm -hmm. there are a lot of Bolsonaros in the U S right. I mean, this is, we've, there are governors who are saying things, not all that dissimilar from this. Donald Trump sounded like this, not all that long ago without shaking hands with people and still wanting to hold rallies and saying it's a lot like the flu. And, and it's not, a. It, it, I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like it's just a party thing like Bill de Blasio in New York was like telling people they should stay home and then was going to the YMCA to work out and stuff. I mean, so th the stuff that Bolsonaro is doing is bad public policy and it's dangerous public policy, but it doesn't seem necessarily all that different from, you know, Boris Johnson or whatever. It, it, when you when you pack it together with all the other crazy stuff that Bolsonaro has said <laughs> and done. It, it has a, you know, you can, you can see a little bit more of a kind of a, a red flag to it. The stuff that, uh, Bertie Muhammad, yeah, the Gurban Ghuli, Bertie, Bertie Muhammadov is doing nice is, uh, I mean, that's, those are straight up drink dictate. <laughs> those are straight up, you know, dictator tactics. Like, I mean, they seem crazy because they are right to say mm -hmm. that we're going to deny that that word even exists. And, um, you know, we're going to, we're not even going to talk about it. It seems insane because it is, but it's also not all that uncommon when you study like dictators throughout the 20th century and the stuff that, you know, the, the crazy shit that they come up with, this is the sort of stuff that happens, right? You're just going to create a world and that, you know, exists as you, as you want it to and, mm -hmm. and deny anything that, that comes to challenge that. I mean, from, you know, across the world, whether we're Asian or African dictators, Latin American dictators, European dictators, wherever we, we look, you see this as, as a part of authoritarianism. And so it's bizarre, um, but it's also not all that uncommon. Mm -hmm. Nick, your thoughts on Gurban Guli? <laughs> Say it. <laughs> Has, has, he produced, has he produced another video driving around the mouth of a volcano or anything? Yeah, that's when we talked about him last time. <laughs> yeah. I know. Or his yellow bar. Remember when he held the yellow bar up like it was a weight, but there was no weights on it? Um, yeah, he's, he's a he's a treasure. Oh, he's my favorite kind of dictator. Um, yeah, like I, I, I know we in you were talking about it in a different context in uh, the last topic, Bill, but um specifically uh bolsonaro um I, I think that that is he's a really good um <clears throat> uh showpiece for the 
adversarial, politically adversarial system that it seems obviously that we see a lot in the U.S., but that we have kind of start to see emerge uh, in earnest in other parts of the world. Um, and this inability to govern as opposed to uh, gain and maintain political power, regardless of what that means, um, and not just political uh, uh, power, but um, specifically for one segment of the population that supports you, uh, as opposed to the majority of the population that you should be governing. Um, it's it's an interesting case study. Uh, and it, obviously, this is the extreme of that. And you feel or, or you would hope that people in the U.S. would kind of take note uh, and, and pause their behavior a little bit, especially during a crisis like this. Um, I personally don't think we're going to see that. And we haven't seen that um, yet during any of this. Um, so that doesn't fill me with a lot of hope. That's all. That's the point I have on him. But um, yeah, Bahamadov is he's he's just he's he's batshit. Like, I don't really know yeah. if there's it's really any any deeper than that. Um yeah, I like I I I don't have words for that. He he's a he's a pure he's a a pure dictator. Um, that, that's right. Yeah, and he he it's it's very responses like that. Just they they make me chuckle, but it makes me exceptionally depressed and sad to know that there are areas of the world that undertake actions like that. Um, very Swaziland, if you will. What that's. Yeah, that's right, because it's it's another level, right? I mean, Bolsonaro is an idiot, right? And he's going to pay a price democratically for his terrible public policy choices. He will likely get coronavirus. He will follow Boris Johnson down the path of heads of state getting coronavirus. Well, he can blame but China, then. It'll be great. That's right. But Gerben <laughs> Gooley is like, he's playing at another level. He's, to Phil's point, he's he's a throwback to, like, dictators of of previous eras, you know, this Orwellian, like I'm going to prevent you from even thinking about coronavirus by mo- removing the word. It's, that it's another level. Nice. I, I feel like I, I could use when, that for a week. I feel like when Tom was on, he was talking about the, the importance of a free press when we were talking about this in other contexts, that that's what pops up here as well. I mean, all of these, you know, little things combined, but you could imagine it. Well, you, you can imagine because you see it when Trump says something crazy, how the press, this is why having a press that can talk about this stuff is really important. And those, those, you know, whittling away at the power of the press has long-term consequences as well. I know, well, how, with, I know how much the, the press also is stupid sometimes, <laughs> but but uh, they're, they're important. No, I think that's that's right. And, and as much as, just again, Trump tries to complicate truth and reality, that's why you need a press to sort of say, here is a baseline. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Turkmenistan is in a whole nother world. All right. Let's let's end on a more fun note uh, <laughs> by playing the game. What's more stupid? So, <laughs> gentlemen, you know the game uh, for this episode. We're going to look at uh, government spending and decide which incident. I'll give you two incidents related to government spending is more stupid. So, all right. Example number one, the Navy. Uh, We learned this week that the toilets on the Navy's two newest aircraft carriers clog so frequently that the ship's sewage systems must be cleaned periodically with specialized acids costing $400,000 a flush. Uh, The new toilet systems on the U.S. Gerald Ford and USS George H.W. Bush are similar to what's used on commercial aircraft, but are experiencing unexpected and frequent clogging of the system and will need unplanned maintenance action. 
for the entire service of the ship. So we're not talking about like a couple times. We're saying for the duration of the ship, every once in a while, they're going to need a $400,000 flush to clean it all out. How are they feeding those sailors? That's my question, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Can they just serve less of whatever it is that they're serving? (laughs) Yes. So that is really stupid. Example number two, uh, Donald Trump. So last Friday, President Trump signed a $2.2 trillion COVID-19 relief package, the largest economic relief bill in America's history. Uh, But despite the bipartisan nature of the emergency package, the Wall Street Journal reports that President Trump wants to inject a truly Trumpian measure. He's told people that he wants his signature to appear on the direct payment checks that will go out to many Americans in the coming weeks. So every check that an American get would be signed by Donald J. Trump. So I ask you, gentlemen, what's more stupid? (laughs) So, Phil, why don't you start us off? I, 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 oftentimes when you provide, when you come up with these, I, I go back and forth. So uh, let me say <laughs> something first. The, the, Trump signing the, the checks. Uh, the, 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 there are lots of examples, again, from a comparative politics standpoint in which parties, political parties, people who are in power use the power and the budget of government to, you know, boost their own, and, you know, not in ways that we're familiar with in the U.S. Obviously, the president wants to, you know, look good so they can get reelected. But there, you know, throughout in Mexico, there are lots of times where the government basically handed out checks right before elections to get reelected. So there's danger in that. You want to separate the sort of party politics from the government as much as possible. So Trump, this this aspect of Trump by you know signing the checks starts to you know tread on that a little bit. But also, like, I imagine that most people, when they get their check, they don't give a shit who signed it. They're just going to deposit it. Right. And so I would guess that people maybe even expect Trump's signature to be on the check. I, I don't even know who it would be. Probably the secretary, the Treasury secretary it would be Mnuchin, I imagine. Regardless, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I, I, This one, I don't have that much of a problem with. It seems like going back to our first topic, if this makes Trump feel better and more likely to do what's necessary to address coronavirus, then great. Um, as long as it doesn't go down that road further. It seems like somebody, when they were designing a billion dollar ship, should have come up, should have realized that maybe the plumbing was going to be a problem. <laughs> that seems like the bigger, stupider thing on that yeah. one. So I think I'll go for, go with that one. But I, it does also, I, the first thing I thought of is what the hell are they eating? Like that's that's got to be the, the, <laughs> the issue that has to be addressed in some way. It's hard to get roughage on a, on an aircraft carrier, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Nick, Nick, what's more stupid? Uh, the Trump thing, get a stamp. I don't give a shit. Most people are going to get it direct deposited too, I would imagine. So I, I'm not that. That means nothing to me. Um, the four hundred thousand dollars to flush a toilet is fucking stupid to me. Um, th- this is government waste at its best. Um, yeah, and you see stories like this all the time. Uh, new, um, I think it was either the F twenty two or the F thirty five that its cost ballooned like fifty times its original cost, and they just pay it out because you know it, it doesn't matter to them. Um, when you're talking about especially uh, defense contracts, money is is no object. Um, yeah, this this is government bureaucracy and government waste. Um, in in a nutshell. And, and this is the problem that I see, especially in terms of the response to the coronavirus epidemic, that the breakdown of the bureaucratic system, which was not designed to handle something like this and absolutely should have been, um, 
is is extremely um, disconcerting to me. And you you would hope that our system would be a little bit more uh, resilient. And we're clearly not ready for anything. If we if we can't get a toilet to flush, we have a serious serious problem. <laughs> That's right. I, I am in agreement with both of you, right? Donald Trump wanting to sign the checks is vain. It's Trumpian. It's classic narcissistic. It's stupid, but it is not $400,000 per <laughs> flush stupid, right? That's another level of stupid. And, you know, at some point there was somebody, it's a Phil's point, who designed this, who should know better, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I get like, okay, one time like, oh, sorry, I screwed up the toilets. It's going to cost us $400,000 to fix this. Wow. That's a big screw up. But to have to repeatedly do that, yeah. that's just, again, stupid on another level. <laughs> it's terrible. It, I, you know, he does. Yeah. The, yeah. It's bad not on the Navy. It's not $400,000 <laughs> every time they flush. It's like a twice a year thing or something, right? Well, yeah, but every time they do it, it's 400000 So they, right. you're right. They're not doing it every time the toilets flush, but they have to flush the whole system twice right. a year. Right. $400,000. So it is, it is blowing up the budget for those aircraft carriers over the duration of its life. So that was the whole point because they have to go back to Congress because it's going to cost so much more for the budget for the aircraft carrier. And they're basically saying like, yeah, this is just what it's going to cost. <laughs> and the and the, the Senate, to its credit, was like, no, that's stupid. You can't. That's not possible. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, it's that's what it's going to be. Right. How much, how much does an aircraft carrier cost, though? It's the, the, <laughs> the alternative to not using it is far more insane. than $400,000 twice a year, right? <laughs> right. But don't you think you could just replace all the – I mean, for $400,000, that, that goes a long way on replacing – Or, I don't know. or putting it's, some turbo-powered flushers in or something. Right. Go get some liquid heat. Get an auger. You'll be fine. God, I don't know what the problem is. I just envision like soldiers pooping over the side of an aircraft here. And that's the solution. I'm more concerned that they only have to do this twice a year. Are they just hauling around just a big pile of shit for six months at a time? That yes. Sounds, yes, ugh. Nick. Aircraft carriers don't sound very nice. It's almost like a carnival cruise ship. That's pretty bad. Mm. Oh, well. <laughs> I I enjoyed my alcohol. I don't know if the the discussions made made me uh, made me feel any better. But um, can you stall for me for two seconds? Ben? Oh sure, yeah. This was so. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us on our social media outlets. The other thing we're thinking about is we're not sure whether you we, you're, we're giving you too much coronavirus or too little coronavirus. So uh, let us know if you if you feel like you'd rather us talk about other topics. Shoot us a message or uh, social media. It's something we grapple with. You know, we understand that there's a lot of coverage of the virus. So if you feel like you know you'd rather us to hit on some other topics, or this is really something you would like us to weigh in on let us know that that's the kind of feedback we're looking for yeah uh a few of you guys actually reached out uh to to me and just through the channel uh over the past few days too about stuff that we talked about opinions mine specifically um you know i i i hope you everybody's okay anybody that's affected by this um i'm exceptionally sorry uh it's this is a crazy time i i think that the government's response has been um not not great in in a lot of ways. Uh, my my point realistically is that I think this is a bigger discussion that we need to have about the way that that we operate. Um, so yeah, trust me, I'm not in support of anybody who is making decisions at this point. Um, so I, I I just felt I felt the need to say that. So I hope everybody's okay. Take care of yourselves. Um, yeah, and 
that's about it. But anyways, that was a, that was a good clarifying point, Nick. Well done. Thank you. Um, yeah, guys, if uh, you want to check out uh, what we're doing on the podcast, have questions, comments, anything like that, uh, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul P O L, Facebook at Barstool Politics, where you can find. Uh, our live broadcast, which we'll do uh, every Wednesday, uh, and then those will be up uh, on on the, uh, the the page as well afterwards. Uh, Beards we try you can find it untapped on iOS or Android. Um, just search for Barstool Politics on there. Uh, the podcast itself, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Review us, share us, like us through there. Excuse me. Uh, and then our merch line you can find on teespring.com. Uh, look for direct links on our social channels. Um, hoodies, mugs, t-shirts, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, Bill, we'll get you a second one uh, so you can finally wash that one. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. Um, anything else, guys? No? I don't think so. Oh, all right. So... Bill, Bill's talking and not Bill's, saying anything. Yeah. Oh yeah, there right. you go. I, I muted myself. Yeah, I was just saying it was, it's good to talk with you, gentlemen. I miss I miss our our interaction. So this is great. All right, we will see you guys next week then. Cheers. Shut Cheers. Up, 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 up.